Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, and this is the premiere edition of a new feature of the Six Gun Justice podcast, which we're calling Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are occasional short bonus episodes in which either Richard Prosh, my regular Six Gun Justice podcast co-host, or I get to hang out in our virtual Western saloon and simply chew the jerky with friends of ours who also love the Western genre. With me for this first edition is mi amigo and wordslinger extraordinaire, Chuck Dixon. Hey, Chuck. Get me something down from the top shelf, okay? (laughs) The good stuff, right? Yeah, none of that stuff you give the drovers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is the first time that we're doing this, so we're just kind of trying to have fun with this. We have a lot of friends like you who love the genre just like we do. How did you get into the Western genre first? Because I know you love Western movies. I'm a boomer, so growing up, Westerns were everywhere. Every kid had a cowboy outfit and a six-gun, even the girl. Westerns on every TV channel all the time. And my dad was a huge fan. It was his favorite genre. So there were Western paperbacks, all kinds of Western reference books all over the house when I was growing up. And you just kind of picked them up and got it by osmosis, I take it. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they were there. They looked interesting. You know, being a cowboy or even an Indian, I dressed up as an Indian a lot of times with the Cub Scouts and stuff. I mean, it was just the whole thing was just part of the culture. I hope you put that dressing up as an Indian thing aside at this point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't done that in a year. No, a little cosplay going on. (laughs) So what was your favorite Western show? Oh, The Rifleman. Oh, man. You and Richard Prosh. Hands down. It's my favorite TV show ever. Everybody hates me because The Rifleman drove me crazy. I love Chuck Connors, but the second that his kid got on the screen, I was screaming for him to get off. It just, uh, he drove me nuts. That was my dad's problem with the show. My dad always thought that the show would eventually evolve to where the kid would pick up the gun now and then, and it never happened. It would have been really cool if he had been not such a little wimp. Really nice guy in person. I've gotten to know him uh, in later years. Unfortunately, he's having some health problems now, but he became a champion rodeo rider and roper. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. We know Chuck Connors himself was such a cool guy playing professional basketball and baseball and all those other things. I mean, he was a real powerhouse, and who could resist the gun that he used at Winchester with that big wire handle. Oh, absolutely. I think he had the highest body count of any TV Western. If you rode into North Fork and made trouble, Lucas was going to gun you down. That's right. A good example for your son, right? <laughs> it's okay, son. I'm a pacifist unless somebody gets in my way and then I kill him. <laughs> he didn't give me a choice, son. Let me pat you on the back and hug you. <laughs> I know things aren't supposed to be realistic on television, and I agree that that was probably a really nice family-type aspect of the show. I like The Rifleman, and I think it's apparent in my writing. I like where there's a stake for the hero, where there's something to come home to. I love Wanted Dead or Alive, but there was nothing for him to come home to. With The Rifleman, there was always that he was grounded by having a family, as, as ludicrous as the situations would be once in a while. At least you knew there was someone who cared about him while he was getting shot at. So you have some investment with that as a viewer. And I think it's gone too far in television today. Instead of concentrating on the plot of a show, everybody's having their girlfriends kidnapped or they're having trouble with their teenage daughter or they're going through a divorce or they've decided to become a lesbian. It just drives me nuts. Let's get on with the story. That's what's important to me. You've probably had the same experience. You run into these writers who go, oh, well, I'm more interested in character than plot. And my answer to that is, well, then you're a lazy writer. Because you build character through plot. You've got to get the plot first, or who gives a damn? You can't make people care about characters if they're not doing something interesting. And how does your character evolve if there's no challenge for him to go through, which is your plot? 
Yeah, well, they prefer to have their characters talk to each other or about each other, and they think that that's characterization. No, that's padding. I got to tell you, I have killed more than a few projects where I've had a really good character, but haven't known what to do with them. Sure. As a writer, our head is filled with people that we'll never get to use. I keep them hanging around because somewhere, sometime, they may come in as a minor character. I might find that exact plot that's needed for that particular character. But usually I've got to come up with the plot first and then I put my characters into it. Exactly. Now, you've done some Western comic books as well, haven't you? Sure. My first comic book stories professionally were Westerns. Really? Yeah, I did a series of Western short stories at Marvel. And they were drawn by the legendary John Severin. That was my first, like, really professional, big-time comic book work. Were these standalones, or were they part of a series? They were all standalone, generally eight to ten pages. It was in a magazine called Savage Tales, which was all war stories and westerns and private eye things. I got to do four western stories with John Severin and and one with John Buscema. Okay, name dropper. Real cool. (laughs) But anybody in your audience who's not in comics are going to go, who the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go around today and drop Chuck Dixon's name into all the conversations (laughs) that I have with people, which aren't going to be a lot other than my wife because of the coronavirus (laughs) pandemic situation. So you're safe. (laughs) You did something called Soiled Dove, too, didn't you? Yeah, I did a story called Soiled Dove. It was originally done for weird Western stories at DC, but they rejected the final artwork. I don't the artwork is gorgeous. I don't know what was in their heads, but it ended up in an independently published anthology. I also took the Justice League out West, a one shot, and I did a Punisher Western called A Man Called Frank. Cool. I always try to do the Western, even though comic fans don't know what to make of them for the most part. They used to, oh, the Rawhide yeah. Kid and all of that stuff. I mean, I've actually got collections of that stuff because I love it so much. Yeah, Jonah Hex was DC's number one book in the early 70s. We are going to be doing an episode coming up on Six and Justice podcast featuring weird Westerns. <laughs> and, you know, that's going to put a heart attack into all of the traditional Western fans. Of course, Jonah Hex is a big part of keeping that genre going. Oh, absolutely. You know, even at Marvel, they were still doing Western comics all the way into the 70s because they were solid sellers. It really wasn't until the comic book industry's morbid fascination with superheroes took over everything. You know, all the other genres faded away. You have done two books for Wolfpack in the Avenging Angels series. Yep. What's your approach when you sit down to write a Western? What's the thing that you like to do most about them? I just like the fact, for the most part, everybody's left to their own devices. There's no real law. There's no real authority. You know, when you're writing a Western, you have a level of law and authority that you wish to have. Like in in crime shows where the the cops never seem to show up. But, you know, in a Western, that's for real. I mean, you could go thousands of miles between any kind of marshal or sheriff or constable. I worked on a show called Diagnosis Murder, which starred Dick Van Dyke as a doctor who solved crime. And his son, Barry Van Dyke, who was a lieutenant on the police department, I wrote a scene where Barry Van Dyke comes into the hospital in his lieutenant of law enforcement character and starts going down the hospital beds diagnosing stuff. His father comes out and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, this is what you do to me all the time at work, right? (laughs) It didn't make it out of the writer's room, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) <laughs> that's, a scene. that's a great scene. Yeah. And I agree with you. There's nobody to turn to in the Wild West. You're on your own. You got to figure it out. And that's a cool challenge for characters. You live or you die. Yeah. Stakes can't be higher. I figure out a hook, figure out the bad guy in Westerns like Avenging Angels. You know, the bad guy is of the utmost importance. Once I figure out an interesting hook for him, that it's not just the same old tired plot line, and I just go for it. Just start at the beginning and work my way to the end. 
you're a rootin' tootin' shootin' writer because you get those done in a hurry, quite frankly. They don't show that they're out in a hurry because they read so smoothly. That's a great talent. Well, I sweat over them. And also, they're longer than the usual novels I read. They're like twice as long as a Levon Cade novel. So I've really got to think about it. I do a lot more outline on the Avenging Angels novels than I would normally do. So do you wing the Levon Cade novels without an outline? Do you just have a story idea and see where it takes you? Yeah, I just sort of basically throw some crap in the fan and, and push Levon in front of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I pretty much know how he's going to react to everything. The mystery for me when I'm going into it is what's going to be going on with his daughter. Those are the, the harder parts to write for me. And Levon Cade's been extremely successful for you along with your Bad Time series. But both of those really are, in some ways, throwbacks to the Men's Adventure series from the 70s and 80s. I know all those books. I read a lot of those books. But for me, uh, it, it more goes back to the gold medal paperbacks of the 60s, because I like to think that Levon's a lot more grounded in reality than Mac Bolan. I'm not going to say these novels are authentic or realistic, but they're a little bit more honest about life. Levon's no superhero. Levon makes most of his own problems. If he had just backed away, things wouldn't have gotten as bad as they always do. He's not a genius. He's not a superhero or anything else. He's just a really tough, driven guy. Let me get this straight. So he's not a superhero. He makes his own mistakes by not backing down. So basically the story of my life. <laughs> There's a little bit of leave on both of them. In all of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's your reality for you, right? There you go. It's something to relate to. Having the daughter at home, and I've worked hard to make her as interesting as him. She's no girl hostage. It's been a lot of fun to write, and it kind of scratches an itch for me because I don't get the right to punish her anymore. Making her not the girl hostage, that's far more difficult. I've always written strong female characters. which I, I like writing the Avenging Angels books, not Mary Sue's or girl power type characters, but just interesting, strong females. I grew up with two older sisters. I think that's where that comes from. I don't see women as wimps. Women in a whole lot of ways are a lot tougher than men. Oh, yeah, I agree. You watch a lot of Western films. I know you watch a lot of films in general. What are some of your favorites? Oh, wow. Any of the Jimmy Stewart, Anthony Mann Westerns, Winchester 73, Far Country, and all of those are just fantastic. All the John Wayne classics, like just Comancheros. I just watched Comancheros for the first time two nights ago. Really? What a fun film. It always gets forgotten, I think mostly because it was made at Fox. He made so many of his Westerns at Paramount and Warner's, and so they are, they're always re-releasing them. And I think that it kind of gets backlisted at Fox, but it is a fun, big action-against-the-sky Western. One of the best parts of it is Lee Marvin, who's only on screen for a very short period. Right. But he and John Wayne together, you know, Lee Marvin's in his best I am a psychopath mode. That is hysterical. I wanted more of that. Yeah, Marvin, he's such a perfect foil for Wayne because, you know, he was a big guy. He doesn't look like Wayne can physically impose himself on him easily. And the difference in acting styles, they're universes apart. And it's so much fun to watch the two of them together. And they obviously had a chemistry. I mean, you can see in the movie, they're really enjoying things. Oh, yeah. There was some really witty, solid dialogue in that film that made it special. And then, of course, you got Leonard Bernstein's uh, remake of the Magnificent Seven theme almost yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And then I like the fact that it was mostly shot outdoors. It's just big. It's a beautiful film. Do you get into the spaghetti westerns at all? And I'm not talking just the Clint Eastwood stuff. I'll watch any west. I'll watch Poverty Row westerns from the 40s and 50s. I'll watch singing cowboy westerns. And yeah, I've seen a whole lot of spaghetti westerns, some really, really weird ones. 
even weirder than a lot of the Eastwood stuff. But yeah, I've seen every kind of Western you can imagine. To find those, you just don't go down to your local video store that doesn't exist anymore, but the metaphysical one. How do you find those films? What sources do you use? Well, you got to dig. Back to like the early 2000s, I was getting DVDs from Japan. They were never easy to find. I got a multi-region VHS layer in the 90s because an outfit in England was re-releasing them. So before it was cool. Yeah, before it was cool. <laughs> There's an outfit called the Wild East that carries a lot of them. So they're easier to find now than they used to be. And if you have a multi-region DVD player, they're super easy to find. And speaking of the Wild East, I actually have Red Sun queued up to watch tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> That's a fun movie. I remember it uh, fondly, so I'm going to see if it holds up. I had only seen it on network television, and I sat down with my boys to watch it. I guess they were like 8 and 12. And because I'd only seen it on network television, I didn't know how much of Ursula Andress we were going to get to see. Ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the more, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But I understand your concern as a parent. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, hope mom doesn't walk in. <laughs> okay. Well, it's time to settle back and uh, have another round. I appreciate you hanging out with me. And hopefully we can do this again in the future. You just call me anytime. I'll come through those bat wing doors. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Six Gun Justice conversation. Until we meet again, be kind to each other, be kind to yourself, and keep your masks on. Adios.